I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iscove. And with me today, I am thrilled to say we have Cindy Chupak, writer-producer on Sex and the City, Modern Family, Divorce. She's currently developing for CBS, a show with Sarah Cooper, uh, everyone's favorite lip syncer, I think is uh, who we're, yes, of course. And uh, she also directed episodes of I'm Dying Up There and Otherhood for Netflix. Thank you so much for being here, Cindy. Thank you for having me. Um. I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm a I'm a very big fan of Sex and the City. Obviously, you know, I'm doing this whole miniseries about it, so I'll try to kind of keep my 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 fandom to myself. But please uh, don't, because when <laughs> actually when when our mutual friend asked if I do this, I said, "Well, are they the kind of guys who hate it and are gonna I'm gonna have to be here defending it all by myself and no, 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 trying no. to explain why it was something?" <laughs> I mean, I, I I am curious to unpack a little bit with you about some things that have aged well and some things that maybe haven't aged as well. Um, <laughs> like but the but the show, though, I actually love the puns. Quite frankly, <laughs> um, I I think that they're you know we we can talk about how. Listen, everything ages, right? And, yeah, and no, it's fine. It's, I, it's, I can it's just, be objective. And, and I would also just say, too, in terms of like, I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, the, the shows exist a little bit in a vacuum, right? I mean, look at, say, the fashion on Sex and the City or the technology on other shows. Like, things just age and that's just what it is. And we watch shows or movies from the 70s and we love them. So people should just, you know, get over themselves. But yes. um, I do want to sort of rewind a little bit to um, 1999 and how Sex and City came into your life. And and were you a New Yorker at the time? Were you living in New York? How did, how did it all happen for you? 
I was actually, I was in Los Angeles. I was in New York right out of college. I went to Northwestern and then got a job in advertising and lived in New York for like three years. And then I moved to LA to try television writing. And I worked on a lot of shitty shows and I finally had worked my way up to Everybody Loves Raymond, which at least people had heard of and was like going to stick around and was a big hit. And, uh, and I had written with a writing partner for the first like seven years of my career. And we were just going to break up as writing partners. And so we both worked on Raymond and he let us each write an episode separately, which was quite nice of him because you sort of have to reestablish yourself. And then I thought I'm going to write a spec of something just to show what I would do on my own. And I was, and Sex and the City had just come out. And I actually remember that I was sitting in like the the Raymond writer's room, like most comedy rooms, it was like mostly guys. And I brought in I think it was a videotape back then. Is that possible? Of Sex uh-huh. in the City. And um, I was like watching it at lunch and it was the baby shower episode from season one. And mm-hmm. slowly the men disappeared and left the room and were <laughs> not interested in making fun of it. And I was just like, oh my God, because my writing partner had been married with kids. We had mostly worked on, like we worked on Coach and just a lot of shows that were mostly sure. male skewing or about families and nothing that I really was like, attached to as and this was just everything I was like thinking about talking about with my friends and and I thought it was so smart and really sort of deep and sad and just nothing I had seen before so I was going to try to um spec an episode and then I knew Jenny Bix at the time and she said maybe you could try to freelance one so that's how I Uh got, got to the show you know, it's it's funny you say that because uh, in terms of like how the show hit you as you were watching it, I, I, I just to sort of unpack that a little bit and to say, you know, I can't imagine. I mean, I remember watching the show. I was living in Toronto at the time. So just to, I'm Canadian. So we got the show a little bit slower than it was down here. Um, so I remember watching it on either video cassette or whenever it's indicated up in, in Canada um, and just thinking to myself, you know, I'm obviously not a woman, but I just never ever seen anything like it. I mean, it was really kind of reinventing uh, the romantic comedy and, 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 you know, from obviously from a female perspective, but I had Emily Nussbaum on for the first episode of our show and she did a whole beautiful New Yorker piece about defending the show and how wonderful it is. Um, and, and she said that for her, the scene that really kind of made the show kind of where she saw the power of the show was the four of them in the back of the cab talking about anal sex. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and I, it really is sort of, you watch that and it's like each of these individual women have such specific voices, such beautiful comedic timing of their own. And you really see like what this show is capable of. So I can only imagine that having written on all these comedies, these male skewing comedies, you see this and it's got to feel like a breath of fresh air, right? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that uh, that scene in that episode. I I because I was going to do this, I just started re. Okay, I don't think I watched the first season of Sex and the City again <laughs> since then. Since before <laughs> I got the job, for some reason, sure. like I've watched since then, and the other episodes I you know came on in the second season, so I was there for them. So I have you know distinct memories of all that, but I don't think I had rewatched it. And I was watching, I totally forgot. She talked directly to the camera. I remember yeah. the man on the street stuff, but, yeah. but it was like in the second episode, it started to really gel. And then that scene. And I always remember Michael Patrick King talking about that scene and the table read of that scene. And that the actresses are like, are we really doing this? Like, are we going to talk? <laughs> like they were embarrassed. They each had their, sure. you know, Kristen Davis was just as embarrassed as she was in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> talking about it um but he 
he said he knew at that moment at the table read, like this is going to, this could be something because it was like there. Yeah. But they did have, they did have such distinct voices that it was fun and easy to write them. It also doesn't, you know, despite the fact that perhaps some people might think otherwise, I personally don't, but the, the show isn't audacious for the sake of being audacious. I mean, I don't think that the show is trying to shock people. I think it's actually trying to, you know, sunlight's the best disinfectant, right? There's nothing to be ashamed of. Let your freak flag fly and be who you are. I mean, I think it's actually a very positive way of looking at things. Um, so I think that's the other thing. Like, I think that this show, and I'm, I, I'm sure you know this too, grossly misinterpreted by a lot of people, right? I mean, being seen as very superficial, not being seen for the depth that I think actually really is there. And the reason that the show resonates still is that depth. And it's still a fun show. It's still filled with laughs. But I think that there's a lot going on in it. I guess my question to you is, you know, when you're in the room and you're and you're breaking stories and you're thinking about the things you want to talk about, you know, there's a little bit of how do we how do we get people to eat their vegetables with a joke, right? Like how do we right. get how do we get something substantial in there and also make them laugh? How did you guys find that balance? Uh, well, I know that is what attracted me in the very beginning, like watching that baby shower episode. There were so many interesting, complicated issues in addition to it being really laugh out loud funny, but like what happens to your identity when you have a child and what if you don't even know sure. if you want to, and you know, you're, it, that was a complicated, interesting episode. <laughs> and I think the depth of it is what got me hooked. Like I wanted sure. to dig into that. And mm-hmm. I almost feel like it was also the other way around. Like you earned the sex. And like you said, it didn't feel gratuitous and shocking because mm-hmm. you I think partly because you knew and cared about the characters and it was genuinely part of the story and part of what they were wrestling with instead of just maybe we can get, I feel like sometimes you notice on some shows, Oh, there there's just like on entourage. There was sometimes, and I love entourage too. And I know your co-host, but sometimes it was just a naked person and I wasn't sure why. Well, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and ride for entourage. I love Kenny and and all of that, but I think that, you know, but I, I, it's funny because if you do put them next to each other, I think there's a lot of people that made that connection that it's like, it's the men's entourage. I don't think that show has nearly the depth that sex in the city does. Now I think part of that. I don't mean to take that. Yeah. And I, it's it's just that I feel like I notice sometimes when it feels like, and maybe for male skewing shows that there's uh, nudity or sex to keep someone interested, like to keep Mm -hmm. you watching it, or we're going to like pop Mm -hmm. this up here and it'll be, you know, part of the salaciousness of the show. Whereas it was really like what the show was about for our show. So they were all, I mean, they were kind of the yin to each other's yang. So I understand the, the yeah. comparison and I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and throw shade at, at, at Entourage. I do think that there's, there's something to be said for, you know, it's funny you mentioned watching season one, which I obviously did before watch rewatching season two, as I go through this miniseries. And I remember not particularly liking season one. I have not watched it in a very long time. I was surprised outside of the breaking the fourth wall stuff, which just makes me cringe. I think that, the show is very fully formed almost from the jump. Like it really does know what it wants to say, which is as I don't need to tell you is very rare. No, you, know, you do need to, to tell me though. Cause I like, I'm working on developing this new show. And I, <laughs> as I was rewatching, I was like, how was this? So, cause even though, you know, and Michael Patrick King joined in the second mm-hmm. episode basically and came and I think he and Darren Starr were such a good team because mm-hmm. Darren really loved the social anthropology of it and kind of Mm -hmm. what Candace's, you know, book was and what this, but I think Michael also brought a lot of heart and soul to it and like loved the Mm -hmm. big Carrie relationship from the beginning. But I felt watching, rewatching it 
like the pilot, even though it was slightly off, like Charlotte and Samantha, mm-hmm. you know, they appear just with Chiron, like they weren't, they were necessarily more important. Yeah, yeah. Skipper. <laughs> I, I almost forgot about Skipper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably thought he was going to be the fifth woman in this era. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it did, it did know, it did have a, a voice to it and a tone. And it was like looking at something specific and you could see the story engine and they definitely had such distinct, points of view right from the jump that they, and yeah that you could see where it was going there's there's a podcast um called origins that did an amazing series on sex and the city um where they it was like an oral history essentially of, of the show and i believe it was um i don't know if it was sarah jessica parker somebody talked about how darren saw the breadth of the show and michael saw the depth of the show That's which a, i think is a really way interesting way of looking at, at it um yeah. I, I obviously can't I can't speak to that, obviously, but I think that there's something to the um, the accessibility that Darren brings to the show and then that sort of emotional resonance that Michael brings to it that I think is, is really special. I mean, uh-huh. I, I think that part of, you know, specificity is so important. And this show was such a specific lane at the time. Many people have copied it since. But I think that that sort of understanding of the universe really from the beginning uh, is, is, is rare. It was funny rare. to remember, cause you asked where was I in 1999? I think I was, I don't know if your females mm-hmm. viewers will, if you have female listeners, they will recognize I hope that so. I was wearing a spree, which was this like weird <laughs> multicolored cotton uh-huh. zip up jacket with the bad skirt. And when I visited the set for the first time, I think I remember, I think Sarah Jessica said something like, it'll be interesting to see what happens to her fashion. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma. I did not know the difference between, <laughs> I think I wrote sure. like Carrie reaches into her Kate Spade purse and Pat Fields is like, no, she does not carry a Kate Spade purse. I was like, I didn't, I was just, a, I thought it didn't matter. Or I thought it was a name of a, like I so yeah, didn't yeah, understand yeah. the strata mm-hmm. of fashion. And, um, and I also <laughs> didn't, when I read Candace's book before I wrote, mm-hmm. before I wrote the spec, I read Candace's book and I thought, I don't know if I can do this. Cause I'm, I like, didn't even know if that world, it felt like such a foreign world to me in a way, sure. those parties and, um, Cause I, and I lived in New York and then I just later realized like, oh, I just wasn't invited. Those were going on. <laughs> I was just living in a bad apartment in the West Village and I like wasn't in that. But then once the show started, like, and we were, it was just so fun and interesting to get pulled into that world and see how accurate it was in a way. And then, and to let everybody into that world, like it was your way in then. Yeah, it was, it's, it's, and forgive the connotation because it might be, you know, but the, it is a voyeuristic kind of show, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, it's, it's very much sort of you're a passenger on this crazy ride with, with these women and, and you're seeing sort of, I don't know if you're, it, it, it is giving voice to things that people don't generally talk about, right? Which is, and, and, and that's sort of, um, you know, those, those barriers that the show broke, I think are really interesting. You know, I think that, so, your spec was was the chicken dance the spec that sorry the 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 uh, freelance that you yeah. wrote in season two and then evolution was you were on staff for evolution or were they how did that yeah. work yeah yeah okay. I was on I came for the table read of um, the chicken dance which was it's funny I'm talking to you from my house that I had just bought myself that I was worried I was going to die alone in and so that was and and someone did get engaged in my house while they were house sitting and I. <laughs> 
and I wrote like someone people said as soon as you buy a house someone will propose I thought it would be to me because they just left this note like we're engaged and they asked me to write a poem so it wasn't even fiction it was oh, like wow <laughs> it was all these confluence of things going on in my life that I had kind of kept notes about and thought I'd either write a column about because I did write columns kind of like mm-hmm. Carrie did and I never was able to use those when I was in a writing team, but suddenly for that show, it's like I had the goods basically, but I had just kept notes about all these things. And so when I pitched that, I remember, I remember Darren Starr saying like, do you have any bad ideas? And I thought I have so many bad ideas for so many other shows, but for some reason this show, like I've just been waiting right. for this moment to use all these ideas. <laughs> even, <laughs> I don't even know if you remember, but even the pink toothbrush head that was at the time, like I was dating a guy who'd given me. So eventually I started. Really? I know I, we just did that episode. So yeah, I fully <laughs> remember that. It's, it's, it's very, you know, I think that, I've read stuff and, and, and obviously you can tell me if this is true that, that so many of these stories are real from like the dating experiences of the writers or friends of the writers or some sort of a personal experience. And I think that's another reason why it feels so real, right? Like the specificity of the toothbrush head feels like something that people have lived through. Yeah, I don't, you probably have less opportunity to do this with Sleepy Hollow, but you still find your way in emotionally, right? (laughs) Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, yes, yes, you try to find that, yeah. But yeah, I feel like that granular, that was the joy of working on Everybody Loves Raymond finally, as we really did it kind of Norman Lear style and brought in our family dramas to, and that was where stories came from. And that was definitely on Sex and the City. It was, you know, just group therapy. And sometimes it was, you know, like what I wish I would have said or what felt or what if I was thinking, what if that had, but definitely, Mm -hmm. you know, bad dates. We did used to say no bad dates, just good material. It was almost like the best news when you were on a bad date. (laughs) This is going terribly, but it's going to be good in the room tomorrow. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I I did um, an interview with Amy B. Harris as well to to talk obviously about the show. And and she mentioned, and I don't know if you had this experience where, uh, she'd go on dates and the guys would would know that they were either going to be in the show or not want to be in the show. Did yeah. it affect your dating life, writing on the show? It, it, yeah, <laughs> I think it did, for better or worse. I mean, I'd, I was a little kamikaze always. I was like, okay. I'm, where did you, the mission is you're, you may die. That's how I felt about dating anyway. <laughs> Just get in the I plane. Mean, high stakes, high stakes. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it did give you an excuse to... Uh, not be worried if it didn't go well or just try right, right, it right. or do something right. for the hell of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then every once in a while we'd remember that we were people trying to fall in love and one of us would like break down in the room and then that would also be a good story. You know? <laughs> I think the more real uh, and not just dating. I mean, it's true though. I remember, I, I'm sure Amy told you when she came in with the, like the guy who hadn't called her and that became, he's just not that into you, but she was, there were I remember many mornings where people were just genuinely heartbroken and 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 then finally we would say if this either needs to be a story or we have to start working (laughs) 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 so uh, I want to ask just a a quick question in terms of um, so uh, in Emily Nussbaum's article she mentioned something about the idea of Carrie being sort of the first anti-hero rom-com character protagonist and that idea of Carrie being sometimes unlikable, right? Like you guys made conscious decisions and not just Carrie, 
all the characters were unlikable at, at one point or another and the risks that come with that. I mean, you know, just as well as I do that networks don't like characters to be unlikable. They want them to be likable, like, yeah. which is limiting yeah. <laughs> and, and hard to create conflict when everybody is perfect. Um, but with I remember Carrie's we'd always talk about, sorry to interrupt you. That, no, no, please. Um, please don't be, yeah. You know, about Taxi and as that as an example, like how unlikable, huh. how mean Danny DeVito was. We didn't talk about that. I mean, I've just heard that whenever... Sure networks talk about that everyone has to be likable and it seems like we've grown a lot since then but yeah oh 100 percent. but i think your i think sex in the city and the sopranos were the beginning of that right those were sort of and and obviously you know this was a huge moment you know sex and city premieres a year before sex in the city i'm uh, sorry before the sopranos so you know you've got these two just unbelievable shows that hit the zeitgeist like a you know and 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 that idea of being a tv writer which obviously i was not when these shows premiered, but it must have felt like an earthquake. I mean, to be like, we can do that? Like, it's been, you know, decades of writing very compact, procedural, rounded off stories. Everything ends at the end of 22 or 42 minutes. Did you feel sort of not just a, 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 a weight of expectation, but like, was there a freedom? Did it feel like for you to go from Everybody Loves Raymond and Coach to this, what did that do for you as a writer? How creatively sort of freeing was that? Well, what it was, it just, it felt really grown up in a way and not just because it was creatively freeing and we could, we could see sex and use language and all, but just the way HBO treated their shows of just like, Mm -hmm. just make it good and complicated and deep. And those were the notes as opposed to make this person more likable or or, it was just, uh, just Must make be it nice. interesting. I know, right? It's very rare. <laughs> I'm finding now that I think about, because I've been, it's been a long time since I've worked in network. And even if they don't say it, I feel like I kind of have it in my ear. Like, are we going to be able to do that or say that? Or can we, and the, the freedom, yeah. I think I've, I, I always remember when we did an episode about um, whether or not Miranda was going to have an abortion. Like, is this my baby? And Mm -hmm. we discussed, could we talk about Carrie? Would she have had one? And we just really tried to think like, what's the truth of our lives, our friends' lives? Like what would be the truth for Carrie as opposed to what will be palatable to an audience? And definitely you don't have to worry about sponsors, which is a big thing of not having ads and being on pay cable. (laughs) I mean, that really is what drives a lot of it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah. So we just thought, what would be true for her? And that was the biggest kind of freedom when thinking about if they're going to cheat or if they're going to do unlikable things or if she smokes or uh, things that you might talk yourself out of. It was just like, let's just try to be true to these characters. You know, it's, it's interesting. You bring up the, the abortion episode. Um, You know, it's interesting to watch this. I, I, if I'm being completely honest, generally speaking, I watch seasons three to the end. (laughs) That's usually what I do. I kind of skip the first two. And it's not that I don't like the second season. In fact, I quite like it. And I'm enjoying this exploration of it because you're seeing the show really finding its voice and figuring out how far, you know, where, where to dig deeper, where to go in certain directions, which I really love, you know, but season three, you know, you have obviously, um, you have Miranda getting pregnant, which is a tremendous episode because again, finding the laughs in abortion is not the easiest thing to do. (laughs) And, and, and you guys successfully found a way to not just, uh, not just make it funny, which it is, but to make it emotionally resonant, which is perhaps the most important thing. Um, And to find that sort of the the path not taken the, as the titles denotes coulda, woulda, shoulda, what, what might've happened if um, I think is really I mean, obviously, it's great writing. Um, it's also the season when Carrie cheats on on Aiden. Um, 
which is a which is a big swing, which comes back to sort of that unlikability question of how far can we push our characters? How you know where will our audience go with these characters? How far will they go with them? Um, so, with that in mind, I kind of want to ask you, and this is sort of maybe this is a tough question, but writing Carrie with Big, writing Carrie with Aiden, writing Carrie with Berger, did Carrie? Did you write her differently when she was with different? in different relationships? Did you find that the character, because what I think is great about watching it as a fan is that you do see different shades of her and different flavors of her as a character. What was that like to approach? Um, Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I mean, there were just different dynamics with the different actors that sometimes it was, you know, partly what you wrote and then partly what they brought. Like if now rewatching Big, he had like a (laughs) playfulness with her, like a knowing knew he had her from the very beginning, (laughs) but he he had that dynamic a little bit. It just as an actor too, like it was very fun and kinetic when they were together and, and uh, John Corbett had his own rhythm. And I remember like in those early episodes, trying to figure out if what we wrote was working for the way he said it. Cause he just kind of hadn't had a really Mm -hmm. interesting rhythm that wasn't what you expect for comedy. Like if you compare him to like Ron Livingston, who was much more like Mm -hmm. a comedy rhythm. So we did end up, we kind of, Ron Livingston was supposed to be sort of an intellectual, but John kind of brought his own thing that became part of then how we wrote him and then kind of how Carrie reacted to him too. And so, yeah, it was partly, it was partly the actors and the dynamic they put, they brought and then partly what we would sort of adapt as we saw what was just you could kind of hear their rhythms after a while, and John's was different than we heard it maybe originally. <laughs> sure, but I kind of loved it. Well, that br- that uh, that brings me to to another question, um, which is sort of the show feels very genuine and it feels very real, even though it's heightened. And I guess was there improvisation or was it a lot more of just like I can only speak from my experience, which is that when you're a writer and you're watching the show or you're watching the dailies and you realize, oh, that actor has that tool in their tool belt that I didn't know they had. And, you know, that's the excitement of finding new things uh-huh. in the actors that you can then explore in the writing. Was it more along, because you're speaking of like the voices, the specific voices, but also the cadence, the way that they did that influence, you know, to some degree, the directions that you would write the characters into? Yeah, but it was a little more of a like watch and learn and then write it differently as opposed to I've right. been on some shows where there is a lot more improv of the mm-hmm. actors. I mean, I've got to write the David Duchovny episode where he was like her mm-hmm. old boy who was mm-hmm. in it. Boy interrupted. Yes. Mm-hmm. Boy interrupted, yeah. which also mm-hmm. was slightly based on truth. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> what I'll do Amazing. for the show. No, I did. <laughs> it was like, I had this boyfriend who had been my boyfriend in on my Israel trip when I was in high school. Your and, birthright trip. Like yeah, um, it was like, yeah. it was like a nifty, I don't know how many, Jews you have but anyway it was kind of like you got to do it and uh anyway I met him and we stayed in touch and then he was in New York when I was working on this show and he left a kind of like a message like vague about why he was in town and for how long and then when I called him back it was unclear someone else answered the phone and called him like it was like a hall phone oh wow (laughs) and I was so confused and I totally made and then anyway, and then we did have a relationship for a while and then I wasn't never going to write about it. And then finally, when he said, uh, are you going to have Carrie date a guy who's in a voluntary mental institution? I was like, no, I wouldn't. And he goes, you can if you want. And I just immediately went in the writer's <laughs> room like, I can use it. <laughs> That's really funny. 
really but anyway, he's great in that was, episode too. He's, he's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, he was really fun, yeah. and he was loose, and he improvised some, and he you know mm-hmm. came up with some great lines. So, uh, so once in a while, we depending on the actor, we would it, you would have some of that, but it was mostly just really watching and being delighted by how they delivered things, and then writing mm-hmm. to that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean it's. I, it's really he's really funny in that episode and that and i do like the fact that the show it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, it's, 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 the relationships are kind of, especially for, for uh, Samantha, Miranda, and Charlotte, for the first couple seasons, it's a lot of like, one-offs right where they have a boyfriend for an episode and there's the fun of that um and i like that it kind of gives a little bit of that to carrie near the tail end of the show before you know she ultimately has her petrovsky situation um so there's there's that but um so i i I have to talk about splat for a second with you because (laughs) i think it's one of the best episodes of the show um but it also leads into sort of my questions about how how you and perhaps how the how the rest of the writers approached the end of the show the end of the series uh-huh. we don't need to talk about the movies <laughs> let's just talk about the <laughs> okay. series um, um yeah that was so well i got to co-write yeah, that so with please, jenny yeah. bix um mm-hmm. who was my friend who kind of brought me into the show in the first place because she was there with darren and michael and when i was going to freelance she was and when i was going to spec she said you should come mm-hmm. in and, um so that was uh i mean there was so much you probably do this too in your writer's room. Like so much of the great stuff in every episode came from the writer's room and a collaborative effort of making sure we were all on board with the story and everybody would contribute Mm -hmm. ideas. And I think I'm sure Michael had a huge hand in so much of that. And we debated a lot of things, but it kind of came from, uh, I believe it was Candace Bushnell at a party who once said like, New York is dead. And that started this like, what what if you stayed too long at the party basically and it was mm-hmm. kind of funny that it was her who created this whole series but yeah candace hung on <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure I, I think what i love about it and i'm sure this is stuff that you guys unpacked when you were in the room when this idea was starting to sort of uh you know get built but you know, so much of the show is kind of a fantasy in Carrie's head, right? It's the projection of what she thinks our relationship is supposed to be and what she, where she thinks she's supposed to be in her life and preconceived notions of, of femininity and masculinity and all these things. Um, that, that episode, I think, is so powerful because it 
it's dark. <laughs> like yeah. it goes there. Um, and admittedly it's sort of, it's the, it's, you know, the it's darkest before dawn kind of moment of the series where you're like, wait a second, she's really going to go to Paris and she's really going to move away from her friends and, and all of these and sort of notions <laughs> and leave her computer, all, all these sort of very dramatic theatrical illusions of what she thinks she's supposed to do. Um, you know, the big fight between Miranda and her, outside the funeral is an amazing scene because it just feels so raw. And it just feels like, you know, Miranda's like, you you have to wake up like you're living in a fantasy. Um, the, I, I guess the question is, you know, how did you guys approach that? I mean, the show goes to dark places often from time to time anyway. You know, obviously um, uh, myself, my what is it? My motherboard, myself, the, the, the one about, which is a, a fantastic episode, the funeral episode. episode. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, so the show will go there. Um, but the speech that Kristen Johnson gives before she falls out the window is a real condemnation of the series that we've just watched. <laughs> well, it's like that um, you're staying which, too long at the party, which I think right. I guess was something we were wrestling with when trying to figure out how long the series should go and how long they could continue this right. life. And you definitely don't want to, uh, I mean, I think that's the beauty as she realizes it's, you know, New York is not dead and her friendships are not dead and she's not, she doesn't, you know, when we were thinking of Petrovsky, it was always who could be bigger than big and he needs to maybe be entered, even though he was a smaller in stature guy, <laughs> a bigger sure. in his world, like whose world would be bigger than her world with big and she thinks she's trying and it kind of is a little bit. I'm only thinking of this now. I don't think I was aware of it then, but it is a little bit the machinations of what you go through it toward the end of a show of like, how do we, where do, how do we leave this party gracefully? And like, how big of a thing do you want it to be? And is it that you kind of had it all, all along, which is sort of where she comes back to. And, uh, but, and, and I think when you asked, was that a problem dating in a way it was for all of us. Like we'd all sure. been living our lives for material and for just kind of observing, which was sort of the dilemma Carrie was having. Like, is it time to just start living my life instead of writing? So there was, there was, hmm. there was a lot of MC Escher. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the hands. Sure. Um, but I don't know if it was how aware at the time, but I do know that it was, uh, yeah, it was really interesting to write this, these, this real fight, which Michael Patrick King had a big hand in, but that fight between Miranda and Carrie, because sure. they were both right, really, and you cared about both of them, and you wanted to believe mm-hmm. Carrie was maybe going on a great adventure, but it was, yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's, I, I think that... It, it taps into this idea of you have to have a certain amount of delusion in your life like yeah. in order to just, not just to get out of bed in the morning, but to sort of to... to to fight for what you believe in and to, to find the person that you're meant to be with, if it's love or if it's a career or whatever it is. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, it's that balance. Right. And, and I think that um, the show kind of beautifully illustrates that in that specific episode where it kind of goes to that place of, of kind of challenging its audience a little bit. You know, I think right. that, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but, and there's, there's a whole spectrum of television. Obviously there's TV that we like to watch because we turn our brain off and we just don't want to think. And then there's television that we want to be challenged by. Um, and I think this show kind of threads that needle kind of perfectly of, of being entertaining and being funny and all of that. Um, but also kind of pushing back a little bit, especially near the end of the, at, near the end of the series. I think it's, it's, it's really special. Thank you. Um, I did, felt that even in the, I, I was aware of that 
not not how special, not how brilliant we were. I was aware <laughs> of that it was one of those moments in time where it was just on the right show for me at the right time. I mean, I was the same age as they were and single at the time. Right. And uh, but also just top of the game, how everyone was that it, when we were in New York and working on stuff, we would overhear people talking about it. And that just doesn't happen anymore. First of all, there's so much TV that it's so rare that you might hear everybody in this yeah. game of thrones something that happened to be <laughs> or the presidential election results we're waiting on. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think uh, that was just a kind of crazy thing to feel like this little show we were doing that was very specific to that world uh, was starting to be like an event that people were invested in and looking forward to. And that, that felt really special. I don't know. I knew at the time, like I may never have this again, but just be be happy that you're having this now. Yeah, I mean, there's it, it's. I mean, that that that's sort of one of the many reasons why Kenny and I are doing this this podcast is you know to not just to be able to kind of look back and at '99 and the the plethora of great stuff that was made back then, but also just to sort of harken back to a time when you you know we have the same frame you, of reference. We have the same frame. It's it's funny because and you just said the election, but and it's true. I mean, last night I or t- might have been today. Who knows? The last <laughs> the last seventy two hours are a blur. But someone tweeted, you know, it's amazing. Something streaming will never have is that we are all collectively watching this thing together. We are all existing in this same space together. You know, and sports does it, sure, but there's something missing about that appointment television. Mm-hmm. Um, that water cooler television, you know, the water cooler is now, I guess, Twitter. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting to it see how we, point that we, it used to be Sunday yeah. night, like at this time and there, you know, mm-hmm. didn't necessarily record it. It wasn't going to replay until much later. Like you had to sure. be there. Yeah. And there was something unifying about that knowing that, I mean, now there's all the, don't tell me what happened. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't finished it yet, or I'm only halfway through. Or, yeah, like we were well, all at the same yeah. point at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, and and thinking about like, you know, you just mentioned, you know, you could record it maybe to a video cassette if you wanted yeah. to, but generally speaking, you're waiting probably about a year until the DVDs come out. Like the idea of binging, the idea of being able to sort of have all the episodes in front of you, uh, very rare. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy to think about now we take everything for granted. We want everything the minute that it's done. And, you know, it's, it's, it yeah, it's probably but changed us quite a bit. We have no, uh, it, it has, it's that it, it certainly has in, in the giant <laughs> scale. Right? It's true. But there's also, there's something about that idea of, of savoring it. I mean, I, I think that we're, 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 and this is this goes for all pop culture, and this maybe goes for maybe outside of pop culture too, which is we have no patience. We want everything all at once, all the time, mm-hmm. um, and we don't necessarily savor and live in the moment of enjoying the thing yeah. as much as we then want to deconstruct it or break it apart into a million pieces on Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is. No, it's true. It's, you did. You were missing in a nice way that um, you know that instant the instant critics too. You kind of got to just listen and see if people, yeah, like now it's like, you could be real. I remember at Modern Family, Danny Zucker used to like be just watching Twitter, watching the Twitter feed as the episode was airing. And we could tell if a joke landed in the moment it was said. (laughs) Yeah. It's very different. Um, It's, and, and I don't necessarily know that it's, worse like i don't know that one is better than the it's just different yeah it's interesting to get the feedback it's it's kind of of gratifying like you you hear the laughs that you don't get to hear when you're doing like a single camera show for sure for sure i mean i i you know when we were doing sleepy hollow you know it it is also 
you know if it's working, I guess, is maybe the more important thing, right? Where, yeah. Or you know if it's not working um, in a way that you never could before, right? I mean, a show lives or dies based on, you know, the introduction of a, of a love interest and whether or not that's going to work for the arc or whether or not it's going, you know, there's just yeah. so many things that you don't, so many sort of intricacies that you can't really think about. So that instant knowledge is great. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I needed all the feedback that I got. Yeah, but, I'm sure. <laughs> if you can only, if only we can pick and choose. <laughs> I know. Do you believe the bad? And can we just believe the good? I know that's the thing about reviews and all that. It's tr- when you say you know it's working based on what you mean. The audience that already loves the show, then you get the feedback. That's kind of who you're aiming for. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like a weird, it's like, I'm sure you've been to a, a, a test screening, which yeah. is a terrible experience. Oh my God. Those yeah. fucking dials. But it like. It made me realize I don't know how to read people at all. Cause usually I was like watching their faces thinking, especially men. I remember thinking this, like, I thought he liked it and he hated yep. it. And then this yep. is my problem on dates. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I also learned after we did the test screening of the pilot of Sleepy Hollow? Cause they, they put all the women in one room and the men in one room. Ah. And you're on the side of double-sided glass and you're just bouncing between the rooms listening to them and they have the dials and, to tell you if they, they have like the dials or- and then there's like focus groups where they talk afterwards and i remember thinking it's amazing how much smarter women are than men like the women <laughs> are all like talking about the nuance of character and why she was why these characters are making the choices they were making and the guys are like it was cool when the headless horseman <laughs> blew that thing up and you're just like fuck <laughs> me like, this is why we're all doomed <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but funny. it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I one last question before I let you go. But you know, in, in terms of how you felt, I, and I'm not really asking necessarily whether or not, I'm sure you liked how the show ended. But I wanted to sort of specifically ask about like those final six episodes and and sort of the the approach of what sort of if you kind of put them all next to each other is kind of like a movie um, in terms of this kind of big picture mini series, if you will. Um, how did you guys sort of approach those, that last run of episodes and, and how, not so much how you wanted it to end, because I appreciate the fact that it doesn't have a big period at the end of it, that there's a little bit, that there's an ellipse and uh-huh. that it feels like these characters continue their lives and go on. And they do in the movies, but uh, we'll just say in the series, it, 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 it doesn't sort of have a finality to it. Was I'm sure that was an intentional thing. I mean, how did you approach those last episodes? Yeah. I mean, so much debate about that, about whether, <laughs> how, how much to tie it up in a bow and mm. can she be alone? And would mm-hmm. it be more powerful if she was just alone? Is it kind of trading? Was it? Yeah, there was a lot of debate. I was on the side of, if we can't write a happy ending, <laughs> I just felt very invested that we should be able to provide one if we had the power. <laughs> Cause you normally don't. True. I don't know. Yeah. That's probably very anti Hollywood, but, or it is Hollywood. It's no, what it's Hollywood true. is based on. But I did feel like, uh, I was sort of for that, but I like that it didn't, you know, get all wrapped up tidy and it was still very much about the friendships and that felt true to our show. But yeah, it was, a, it was a complicated thing. We did a lot of debating and then we, that one, I do remember we had a lot of voices in our ears and I can't remember how at the time because it wasn't Twitter, but I do remember feeling a, a lot of pressure from audiences about what we were going to say at the end. And then, you know, the, uh, sorry, please. I didn't mean to Well, no. Off. And then those episodes just, um, I think, I mean, there was something kind of celebratory. I mean, I got, we were in Paris filming, you know, those last couple. And then 
So that was amazing. But then also, um, like the I Love a Charade that I got to co-write with Michael Patrick King. There was just a lot of fun and nostalgia as we were filming, kind of knowing this is the last scene these characters are doing together. You know that probably from shows, but it's it was emotional for all of us because we really just lived with those characters and those stories. So it was, I don't know, there was a lot of love. I feel like when I'm watching a show, I can tell if the writers like the characters, and I'm sure you feel the same. And the actors even sometimes. You can just, if you don't love them, <laughs> it comes through and you can sort of see yep. it and feel it. And in that show, I think we just really did love those characters and everything they'd gone through. So I think you sort of feel the culmination of that at the end, hopefully. I fully, I fully agree. And I, you know, I, the idea of ending a long running show, especially one as beloved as, as this one was feels nearly impossible for me. Like you're never going to make everybody happy, which I guess is the thing you just have to go in knowing. Yeah. This is only going to, you know, this isn't going to work for everyone and that's just how it is. Um, but I do think you guys found a way to sort of have your cake and eat it too. I think this idea of if you, uh, you know, if you want to believe that she ends up with big for the rest of her life, that opportunity is there. And if you want to believe that they just continue to, I don't know, have problems and go their separate ways, then that's possible too. Um, the idea, even, even in the final VO from Carrie about how loving yourself is the most important thing. And it's not about somebody completing you. I mean, I think that that stuff is all incredibly important and it's an important message to say, um, you know, and, and I think that individually these relationships speak that too. I mean, I think that each of these, uh, women are shown to not be completed by by the men that they're with in their individual storylines as the show kind of comes to a culmination, which I think is obviously incredibly important as well. Um, a very hard thing to do, a high wire act that you guys successfully did. So, I mean, that's, was, that's an amazing thing. It was just one of those lightning in a bottle moments where the everybody was sort of doing the right job, I think. And from <laughs> actors, costumers, like you just felt like everyone was on their a game and I can't, you know, take even, I feel like I can say that cause I only have a tiny piece of this puzzle. You know, it was just like really exciting to be there and be part of it. I didn't really get to finish answering your question and I should cause in oh, 1989. Sorry. So I, I <laughs> freelance chicken dance and what, so Phil Rosenthal, who was running everybody loves Raymond. He mm-hmm. let me write an episode of that by myself, but then I told him I want, I got the opportunity to freelance and he let me, which is kind of rare because I was on a network show and he let me freelance an episode of this other show. And at the time I joked that I felt like I was on this family show, but I was having this affair with sex in the city <laughs> because it was just such a sure. different world to yeah. write that. And, um, and it was so me in a way that I hadn't gotten to write something before. So, uh, when I, they let me come to the table read, which was at ABC carpet while they were filming another episode. And I really felt like I was just being transported into this show. I loved even though, cause I was still kind of a girl from Oklahoma. I hadn't worked on single camera. I hadn't really worked in New York on this kind of a set. Right. There's all these actors I love that I had written for and they didn't do anything to my script, which was like weirdly wow. scary because as a writer, you know, you're usually when oh, you're on a show, like you're like, Oh, they yeah. changed everything. Yeah. And yeah. you complain about it. Well, this was like, Oh, this is <laughs> off my printer and they're about to read it. And there's nowhere to hide. If this does not go well, well. <laughs> I felt really exposed. Like why did no sure. one do anything to the script? <laughs> but, um, and then even afterward, I was so nervous and Kim control went and talked to, um, 
Darren Starr. And then he introduced me and I was sure I was so nervous because I don't know if I'd been on network sitcoms where the audience, where the writers themselves often laugh loud just to make sure that it seems like it's going fine, you know, and the network, everybody's laughing, selling that this uh, is working. Uh, and well, this was like a movie table read. So people were not laughing and I could not tell if it was working. I was oh, going God. into such a hole. But then afterward, they were very kind. And Kim said something about how I got their characters and Sarah Jessica sent me like oh, a little gardenia nice. in a bowl afterward. So I asked my agent, could I leave Everybody Loves Raymond and go do the show? Do you think? And, and it felt like, how, why would I ever do that? I finally was on a show that was going to last for a long time. And Raymond was sure. like a sure hit. And my parents had heard of it. <laughs> 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 and it was 23, 22 episodes. And, um, yeah, yeah. but I, and it was a really happy place to be. Like I really liked to do the show and the people. And, but uh, so I did, I left and I joined them. And so I wrote evolution that season, but it was just like, it was one of those things and it was less money and it was a less sure thing and nobody had heard of it, mm-hmm. but it really like changed my career to go do that show. Was, did you feel like, I mean, again, I wasn't down here when the show was, was airing, so I can't really speak to this, but was the show a hit right out of the gate? Cause it, cer- it certainly felt like a, like a, 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 a buzzy show, I guess is maybe, maybe not a hit so much as that people were talking about it. It felt um, not let's just say my parents didn't know what it was. And my dad who's an accountant was like, why are you leaving this show that everybody knows? I mean, it was HBO. Not everyone had HBO. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. And, so and it hadn't quite caught on. So not everyone knew about it. And like I said, when I watched it in the Raymond writer's room, all the guys mm-hmm. were like, what is it? Like, what I think this? a lot of people yep. dismissed it very easily, but women, it was like, it was just talking our language. And so mm-hmm. people found it. But then by the, by the time I joined in the second season, we went to the Golden Globes and um, and won a Golden Globe. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment I remember like going backstage through the kitchen and everybody screaming like, oh, my God, people are watching this show. Like there's debate yep. about whether the Golden Globes, how legitimate. I don't know. It's 52 people from random yep. countries. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, I'll, but I will say that, you know, you've made it when you're going through the kitchen somewhere. <laughs> that's, that's generally that's, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> she escorted out Sick. on the way to the yeah. press room. <laughs> it's a good sign. I mean, I think that it's it's funny because you know, as I mentioned earlier, watching season two again, you're really starting to see a show finding itself and 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 finding its lane and. Um, and it's, it, the sky's the limit after that, right? Like, it's just, you can just see the show just really ascend that, that ascension, which, which is, and, and I think that Sex and City helped the Sopranos and the Sopranos helped Sex and the City. Like, I think bo- they, they both spoke to this sort of, to this network that was willing to really throw caution to the wind and, 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 and shatter our preconceived notions of these genres, um, yeah, to which is really credit, exciting. Yeah. That, and they really were just going by, their, uh, they were really trusting their instinct on what was interesting mm-hmm. to them. I think after that, there's sort of a chasing your tail where you're trying to find the next whatever. Yeah. And that's just an impossible mm-hmm. target because nobody knew. I think Darren didn't know when he was making Sex in the City. I think that sure. would be so stifling to try to figure out how to do something that would hit the zeitgeist, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, it's, who knows? Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. we were filming in the same soundstage as Sopranos. So oh, wow. they would be down there with That's like crazy. meatball tubs. We would go to their craft services because we had all salads. <laughs> That's, I mean, just think about like how crazy that is. Yeah, like, we had Tim Television Manhattan, history. Who was a director yeah. on Sopranos. Mm-hmm. And I think he mm-hmm. did the episode where like he just did some really bloody, scary episodes. And then he came over and did 
with me, he did, um, was it all that glitters? It was whatever when mm-hmm. Stanford had like the gay prom and it was just this mm-hmm. beautiful, mm-hmm. sweet, gay <laughs> scene that, and I remember <laughs> Tim Van Penn was like, this is so nice over here. It just seemed really- <laughs> nobody was dying no one's murdering murdering anyone on this show it's just i'm just thinking for a second about like the hallowed ground that these two shows of television history shooting in the same sound stages like it's just i mean that's an unbelievable thing to have been there when this like these two game-changing television shows were happening concurrently it's it's i can't even imagine it must have been really exciting it's all downhill from there That is not what I'm saying, just for the record. Very clear. Um, no, but I mean, it's, I, I, I just, what I, as I mentioned earlier, what I love about this podcast is the ability to not just look backwards and see, you know, what greatness was there, but also what greatness has come from it. And I think that Sex and the City has changed television, right? And there was so much TV that is, you know, riding its coattails, for lack of a better way of putting it. And, and I think that that's, um, that's there's a, there's a lot to be learned from this show and and the choices that were made and and you know listen I, I think that some things age better than others and you know we don't need to we don't need to do that but I I think that that it is uh yeah I mean I, I have I have binged this show and I, I as you mentioned you probably haven't watched the show in in quite some time I but had like, it. you know when you talk about season it, two though they shoot single people don't they I think that was the episode that it was like oh okay. This it's is the really best. interesting because it's like that question mm-hmm. mark that was hostile, but it was just like it was yeah. meta because it was looking at what the subject of the show was. Like, can these women, because there was a lot of criticism, mm-hmm. even though it was mixed staff of like, this is a gay man's view of what it's like to be a woman and they're just sex, voracious sex, and it's not really true. And this is now women talk. And it was like the show was sort of willing to go, well, let's look at this. Are these women, is this sad? Are they yeah. to, when she doesn't have sex too? Yeah. Anyway, I sound like it's and the New York magazine cover and yeah. just that idea of like the deconstruct. I mean, which speaks to today, like now it might be now it might be a, you know, a web article or a, or a tweet or something like that. But ultimately, you know, that that magazine cover is hostile because it's 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 speaking very loudly about what this character is going through, but also I don't know. I think that this this idea of sort of personas, which seems to be now more than ever, especially when we have sort of a social media persona and then who we really are, and mm-hmm. then people that have like real Instagram accounts and fake Instagram accounts, and it's just all kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, that really is a commentary on that through that episode. You know, it, it's uh, and then you had a very a very young Bradley Cooper in it as well. So you know, that too. <laughs> and not even a big role. That was so great. No. <laughs> But, but delivers that line great when he smacks the magazine on the window. And says, it's just you. It's great. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 really interesting to see how the show sort of yeah, all the people uh, she could have decided not to sleep with. I was going to say, Bradley Cooper. Boy Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she did sleep with Timothy Oliphant in season one, so I mean, it all kind of, it all kind of works out in the end. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's really interesting to see how this show just. I've binged it many many times, and it's just you just they're like tic tacs. You just got to keep like it's just you can't. Got to keep watching it. It's just, it's great. Well, so. thank you for being. But more so. than anything, thank you so so much for being here, Cindy. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank um, you for being and, here. Uh, and 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 you know, I I I really just. Uh, sorry, please go. Ahead. No, I was just going to say thank you for being so thoughtful about your questions and the way you're looking at all of 1999. 
was a good year. It was a good year. <laughs> no, but it's, it's nice to uh, revisit. I meet so many people who say like, I'm sure you don't want to talk about this. You must be so tired of talking about this. And secretly I'm like, I really kind of miss talking about it. <laughs> How sad is I that? Bet. No, it's not sad at all. I mean, I think it's just, and, and I, I obviously, I, I appreciate you saying that my, my questions were thoughtful and, and, and they're heartfelt. I mean, I think that it's just, um, you know, I, I think that we are jaded now in a lot of ways. And I think that as viewers, we, we watch things through, um, through the lens of superiority, uh, which I, which I don't particularly enjoy. Um, so I always, uh, I always yeah. was attuned to that. Even starting out, I feel like there were a lot of writers who got into it because they felt like, well, I could do better than that. And I always felt kind of like, well, first of all, no one set out to do something that wasn't good. <laughs> There's a million ways things can go wrong and it's just so rare. That's why they lightning in a bottle when it goes right and when it then mm-hmm. resonates. So I never really approach TV critically. I'm just kind of amazed when it all comes comes together. So I know what you mean. Well, you you, you say that and 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 I think this is a, a kind of a perfect point to end on that that I you know, people don't realize how hard it is to make television. I mean, when I talk to my, my parents about it, you know, and my mom really loves a show, she'll say, well, well, when's it coming back? And I'm like, they have to write them and make them. <laughs> I'm like, it's, 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 a, it's a thing. Like, it's not just you snap your fingers and make more of them. So it's very hard to do. And then on top of it, you got to get the planets to align, right? I mean, like, it's really about, like, the right people and, the, and, and that lightning in a bottle thing. And when you do have that, it's just, it's, it's so special and, and, you know, worth talking about with you uh, over and over and over again. So, I mean, that's why people want to talk to you about it. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for that, of course. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.